0: Good morning, privileged to be here. Thank you to you and Vanessa and the other leaders, A real, real privilege to be here. It's one of the cities Michelle and I love coming to. You saw my precious wife, she's the wife of my youth. Uh, for those that, just to give you a little bit of context, um, we have three kids. Uh, one we adopted when we landed in America. She was 11, she's now, whatever, 26 with three kids. And um, we have eight grandkids. So that makes me 48, and um, my wife actually sent me something, and I read it to you and Vanessa last last night. I'm going to read it to you now. It's one of these little things. It says, I asked Grandpa, after 65 years, you still call Grandma darling, beautiful, and honey. What is the secret? He said, I forgot her name five years ago, and I'm scared to ask. (laughs) That's how I feel. So but it's a privilege to be here. It really is a privilege to be here, thank you. I trust you well. Yeah, you're well, good. I feel like this is a house of refuge. It's a house of safety. I feel that's what God would speak over you and say you're a house of safety, you're a house of refuge. And there's a lot to that that I don't wanna go into today. And I also feel as I was praying for you as a church, Psalm 40, and I'll read it to you quickly. You don't have to put it up. I feel like this is for some of you folk here this morning and for this weekend and next weekend. Sorry, I should have got it ready. Oh dear, I keep going past it. Psalm 40 says this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire, and he set my foot on a rock. He put a firm place for me to stand on. He put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And I feel like for some of you, you feel a little stuck. And you've been crying out to the Lord and the Lord says, I'm about to come and lift you out of that stuck place and plant you firmly and a new song will arise in you. And a new song will arise in you. And this will be to his display and his splendor. And then another verse, Psalm 128, 126. And the Lord brought back the captives to Zion. We were like men who dreamed our mouths were full with laughter, and our tongues were songs of joy. And I feel like that some of you, in your stuckness, you caught or it's like something's, you caught up in something. And I feel God's going to come and set you free, so you will dream afresh. Laughter will return to you, and your tongues will be full with songs of joy again, and afresh and anew, for this weekend and next weekend. The Bible says Jesus had compassion on many, in Mark chapter six. And when he saw the crowd, he had compassion. And then the Bible says, and he taught them. And in Matthew 14, the Bible says, Jesus had compassion on them, and he healed them. One, he taught them, and another time he healed them. And that speaks to us of the word which we need, the revelation of the truth that changes us, and the power of God to transform us. And so some of you are gonna have what I call divine truth encounters, and some are gonna have divine power encounters, which will be wonderful. Amen. Let me give you a little bit of a context. I am South African, as you can hear by my accent. We landed in America 2003. So I say to many people, I became a citizen in 2011 or 2012. And so when I became an American citizen, I became (laughs) African-American. Well, I'm from Africa and now I'm an American. But anyway, so (laughs) um, we love this country. We feel God brought us to this country to start a church. But for the first 33 years of my life, I did not know the Lord. I had no understanding, no clue. I grew up in a very poor area back in Johannesburg. There were five of us in the family. My biological father died when I was three or four. He was an alcoholic, unfortunately, and he gassed himself in a motor car. So my mother remarried, and the man she remarried had two kids. My mom had me and my sister, and so between them, they had one, so there were five of us. We never went to church. We never spoke about religion of any form or any sort whatsoever. We never spoke about the Bible. So I had no concept, no understanding. And as I grew up, I just got involved in sport, and I I still love sport today. I struggled through school, literally struggled through school, just made it through school. Then I started to date Michelle. She was 15 and I was 19. And uh, I was actually best friends with her brother. And then I moved away and I came back and when I knocked on the front door to go and see Craig, her brother again, Michelle was no longer 10, she was now 15. So she became more interesting than Craig. So her and I started to date or whatever. But her father was a fairly strict man, a lovely man, a great man, he became a father to me. And I wasn't allowed to take her out of the front door for nearly two years. And so we built a relationship and a wonderful relationship that's helped us today. Their family were involved in a a false religion, a cult, whatever you want to call it. And so to please her dad, I went to it, Michelle and I were part of it, we went to it four four to five times a week. They believed in reincarnation, they believed in, you had to read the Bhagavad Gita, the Mahabharata and stuff like that. It was a combination of Eastern mysticism, Hinduism, philosophy, it all combined together. We went to this thing for, as I said, five years. at children, and they want to, in a sense, control our kids, so we left. And when we left, I was in business. I was doing fairly well in business. We moved one city to another city, and Michelle started to attend a little church down the road. I was not interested. She came on one day and she said, um, the, the couple that are doing youth can no longer do youth. Can we do the youth? So I said, sure, I love young people. So we started to do the youth although I hadn't gone to the church. So the youth used to come to a house on a Friday night and we used to have great fun, we had great fun. We used to push all the furniture out of the way and we played water fights. And I remember bringing the hosing and the lounge and going crazy and we, we played touch rugby and it's, it's a South African sport and whatever. And this young group grew from eight people to like 120, 130. And they used to come and ask me questions about God and I had no idea. I honestly had no idea. I just said, don't worry, God loves you. But I didn't understand it. Anyway, one day she came home from the church and she said, they're going on a family retreat, can we go? I said, of course, we, no, no, we can't go. The FA Cup final was that weekend, the comrades married, big, a lot of sports events. But she convinced me, so I took the TV and I put it in the trunk of the car, and <laughs> off we went. But I couldn't find any aerial to play it, but anyway. But at that weekend, I'm trying to bring the short There was a young man preaching. At the end, he said, if anybody wants prayer, come forward. I still said to Michelle, these people are brainwashed. But for some reason, I got up. And I said, listen, this is out of my, I'm out of my comfort zone. I'm more comfortable in a sports field or in a pub or whatever. I'm totally out of my comfort zone. You've got to come with me. So I grabbed a hand and I went forward. And there were two young guys standing there. And the one guy said to me, what do you want prayer for? I said, I don't know. So he said to the other guy, well, you pray for him. And as he started to pray for me, I could feel the tears beginning to come in the corner of my eyes, and I got very embarrassed and very shy, so I put my head down. So he turned back to his friend and said, well, you pray for him, because when I pray for him, he cries. Anyway, the other guy prayed for me, and I sat down. When I sat down, I realized I was 32 years old that there was a God, and I did not know this God. And for one year, There was a war that raged inside of me, but I mean an intense war. Half of me wanted to get to know this God, whoever he was. The other half of me wanted to continue with the lifestyle. We were not unhappily married. I just lived like a bachelor. I was out all the time. My wife was very gracious to me. I was away in business with the boys, playing whatever. She came back from church a year later. This war raged in me. And in that year, I remember going into my bedroom one day and I closed the door and I knelt. And the only reason why I did that is because I'd seen it on the movies. And I said, God, I cannot change. Please change me. And I meant it with all my heart. And I got up and I carried on life. A Couple of months later, she came back from the church. She said, they're back on the retreat. Can we go? I said, yes, this time we can go. And I started to listen. And A man was preaching, a guy called Alexander Fenter. It was like a Friday morning. He was very humorous. He was telling the story about Lazarus and how he had died and when he died. All the people came and got all his possessions because they were part of his family. And then when he came alive, he had to go get all his possessions back. He was joking, but anyway. <laughs> but I started to listen. And halfway through, he stopped preaching. And he said, God wants to deal with people and there were about 300 of us, we went silent. So I stood up, because I wanted to see what was gonna happen. And then I sat down. And when I sat down, God got hold of me. He broke my heart. In my mind's eye, I saw Jesus die on the cross, and it absolutely broke me. Because I saw parts of my life go before and I saw had what I'd done, how it hurt him, but how he had loved me back. Just loved me. The love, the overwhelming love broke me inside. And I didn't weep little tears, it was big tears. When, you know when you cry a lot, your nose runs. There was these long strands that went down. I can still picture them. long, I was sitting, long strands. <laughs> I felt like someone put detergents inside of me and did this and turned me upside down. It's like a weight came off me. After I gathered my emotions after about 40 minutes, I turned to Michelle and I said, you know what? You look the same, but you look different. I looked outside and I said, everything looks the same, but it's different. It's clearer, it's sharper, there's color. That day, I fell in love with Jesus Christ. It changed my life what he did. And it wasn't about me, it was about what he did that he impacted my heart. Nine months later, we were in full-time youth ministry. A door opened supernaturally for us to go, and that was my beginning of my salvation. And I tell you that story because that's what I want to touch on, this great, great salvation. I didn't understand it then, I didn't understand it now. That was just the start of it. We then, the Bible says this, work out your salvation, work it out with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. I found that scripture to become true. As, my, as we started to live, and as we started to make decisions, and as I started to change some of the things I did, not because I needed to, because I had to change it, because I didn't desire them anymore. I was a profuse gambler. I used to gamble in 1985, three, 000, four thousand dollars, in one day, easy, no problem. I was, it was a compulsion in me. It was an addiction, and God set me free. Sorry, when I talk a lot, my nose runs. Maybe the Lord's telling me to be quiet, I don't know, but anyway. He set me free, it's like a weight came off me. From that day to this day, I have no desire to gamble. I didn't beat it, it's like he took it away from me. So your desires change. One John, don't turn there, one John, that book, one John, it's the second or third last book in the Bible. Chapter five, verse 13 says this, I write this, that those who believe in the name of Jesus, you will know that you have eternal life. That whole book is written so people would know that they're born again. Amen. Amen. It's a great salvation, people. It's a great salvation. So if you've got a Bible, can you get it for me? Go to Romans chapter one. I'll just quote it, Romans chapter one, and then go to Hebrews chapter one as well. Romans chapter one. Why am I telling you this? Is because this brings assurance in you. This brings a steadfast, this brings a foundation from which you stand. So you never live from your condition, what day you're having, you live from your position, who you are. Remember when they painted the blood over the doorposts in the Old Testament, remember? You know that story? And the angel of death went over and it didn't touch the people inside. What was inspected? The blood or the people? The blood. The people inside could have been fighting but they were safe. We so often look at our shortcomings. Instead, look at he did it all. He is the supreme prize. He was found worthy. And because he's found worthy, I have life. You understand what I'm saying? So Romans chapter one, verse 16, you know the scripture. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For everyone who believes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation. So we need to understand what salvation is. Let's go to Hebrews chapter one. What is the time? Okay, verse one. In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So in the Old Testament, that's how God communicated to man through all Old Testament prophets. But in these last days, the last days means we, we live in the last days. The last day is coming when Christ comes back, but we currently live in the last days. It's a, it's a time span. It's an era. It's a, it's a, a time span, the best way I can put it. He has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. He is the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Chapter two. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, it's the Old Testament, and carried dis- when people didn't were disobedient. Then it says, how much, verse 3, how shall we escape if we know such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord, that's Jesus, was confirmed to those of us who heard him. And God testified it by signs and wonders. So the Bible says this is a great salvation. God spoke to us through his Son. This is what the Passion Translation says. Listen carefully. Hebrews chapter 1. Verse two, he has spoken through a son. We speak English, God speaks son. For Jesus is the language of God. The sonship of Jesus is the language he now uses to speak to us. So everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, everything Jesus paid the price for, when we just put our faith in that, Something is imparted into us. God spoke through his son. So if we wanna know what God is like, look at his son, Jesus Christ, when he walked on the face of the earth. He is the righteousness of God revealed. He is redemption sacrifice. He's the expression of God's love. He's the holiness of God displayed. He is the word of God speaking. He is the justice of God revealed. It's all about Jesus. So, what is this great salvation so we understand it? There's a difference between the gospel of salvation, are you all still with me? And the gospel of the kingdom. What did Jesus preach when he walked on the earth? The gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom, that's what he preached, the gospel of the kingdoms like this, the kingdoms like this. It is critical and vital, we understand the difference. The gospel of salvation basically says, believe in Jesus, so when you die, you go to heaven. That's true, but it's only part of the truth. It's only part of it. Jesus died on a cross to forgive me so I can have eternal life, but it's not complete. That's the gospel of salvation. Whereas the gospel of the kingdom is this, the gospel of the kingdom emphasizes Jesus as Lord, where the gospel of salvation emphasizes Jesus as Savior. He is a Savior, but he's also the Lord. The gospel of the kingdom emphasizes Jesus, the gospel of salvation speaks of freedom from the penalty of sin, but the gospel of the kingdom speaks of freedom from the power of sin. It's a vast difference. So he forgave your sin, but it also deals with the sin nature that's being crucified. Amen. Put a new nature in us, you know this. The gospel of salvation aims to produce converts. The gospel of the kingdom aims to produce disciples. The gospel of salvation is about escaping, but the gospel of the kingdom is advancing. So it's the gospel of the kingdom. He is the Lord. He is the king. And so everything Jesus said and did, that's what we believe in. The word tells us heaven is a place. But what makes that place heavenly is the presence of the king in that place, the Lord of that place, Jesus Christ. So God's gracious purpose is not just to give us a free ticket to that place, But his purpose is to bring the atmosphere and the government and the blessing of that place in your heart and my heart. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring that person of that place to live here. Then we understand that everything Jesus did is of importance, every single thing. This great salvation is not a plan. It's not a scripture verse. It's not a ritual not a holy day, none of that. It's not even going to church, although we need to be part of it. It's not a one-time decision. Salvation is a person, the person of Jesus. He is our light, he's our strong tower, he's our deliverer, he's our truth, he did not die To send salvation, he died to become salvation. So the relationship with that person is the most important relationship. This great salvation does not only include salvation from sin or from hell, but it also includes salvation from the world in which we live, from the government controlling influence of the world the values of the world that want to come and impinge upon us and that we once used to live under it also includes salvation from myself what's the opposite of love it's not hate self i want this 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 what about me, what about me, what about me, what about me, what about me? That's what he came to deal with. That's what he came to do, he came to crucify that and put a new nature in there, and put a new nature in me, and teach us to live from that nature. The great salvation does not include forgiveness from sin, from the power of sin, from the fleshly nature, but it also includes freedom, from the influence of the evil one. And the way he wants to manipulate us and deceive us and control us. The devil has no right in your life if you're a Christian, other than what you give him. That's the only power he has over you. Don't be afraid of him. You have more authority. Let me say this. Where's my water? Garrett. You have, as a Christian, <laughs> you have more authority in the President of the United States. But it's spiritual authority. As a Christian, you can lay your hands on the sick and they can get well. As a Christian, you can tell the, the demons to flee and they have to listen to you. The president can't do that unless he's born again. Understand your authority and who you are. Not because of you, it's because of who lives in you. I think I've done this before. Trying to help. Me and technology, we don't get on very well. You understand, thank you. The day you got born again, that's what happened inside of you. A light went on inside of you. That's the light of Christ. And everywhere you go, that light goes. And the unseen realm, which this natural eye cannot see, but it's as real as this realm can see it. That's why the devil wants to give you a hard time. That's why it comes to deceive you. Tell you you're no good, you're useless. You'll never make it. It's a bunch of lies. Because he sees the light inside you. So he wants to do that. You have authority, people. Because of the great salvation, not because of you, because of him. This young lady that helped with worship, she has as much authority as you and I and everybody else that got saved, that I'm nearly 70 because Christ lives in our heart. We just gotta to learn to exercise authority and wisdom. Now I don't know how to turn this thing off, hallelujah. We're working. <laughs> it's a great salvation. It truly is a great salvation. The Bible tells us, this is how the Bible puts it. This great salvation in and through Jesus Christ not only saved us from hell and from sin, but also from the world, its control and interest, from the flesh with its pull and its hold, its barbs and snares, from the devil with all his power and craftiness and deception. He saved us from us all. Jesus came to set people free. When the sun sets free, it's free indeed. I'm free. I wasn't, but now I am because of Him. Romans 5 tells us that Christ died for us. Romans 6 tells us that Christ died as us. Romans 8 tells us that Christ wants to live in us. Romans 6, 6 says we were crucified with Him. Romans 6, 4 says we were buried with Him. Romans Ephesians 2, 5, and I know you've been going through, says we were made alive with Him. Ephesians 2, 5 says we were raised with Him. Ephesians 2, 5, 6, we are seated with Him in heavenly places. That's the great salvation. That's the great salvation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. When we grasp and understand this, give me another 10 minutes, there's an establishing that takes place. I didn't understand this 33 years ago when I got sad. I didn't, really, I didn't. Only as the years went and as I read scripture, I said, Oh, is that what happened? Oh, that's what happened. And it put a foundation in me i put something that I can be secure. There's an assurance. So even in uncertain times, when I wake up in the morning, I'm in a bad mood or whatever, the, or rather, let me use Michelle, when she wakes up in the morning, <laughs> it doesn't change who she is. She's a child of God. Don't live from your condition. Live from your position. That's why you've got to know you're saved, you've got to know you're a child of God. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born, but a son is given, Isaiah chapter six. For God so loved that he gave, who did he give? Jesus, his son, nothing less. The Bible says says six times Jesus gave himself, gave himself, I'm gonna quickly go through them. 1 Timothy 2, for there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ, who gave himself as a ransom. So he gave himself as a ransom. Number two, Galatians 1 says, for the sins he gave himself to rescue us from our sins and from this present evil age. In Galatians, in Ephesians 5 it says, he gave himself as a sacrifice, a fragrant offering, a sweet smelling aroma unto his Father. He gave himself willingly. Ephesians five twenty five says he gave himself that he might sanctify us and cleanse us and make us holy, set us apart. He set us apart. Galatians 2.20 says he loved us so much that he gave himself. And then Titus 2, and I want to read this one. Go with me to Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. I want you to grasp this one. Titus is just before Philemon in Hebrews. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no. So the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus who gave himself, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So he gave himself to redeem us. What does it mean to be redeemed? Good question. That word redeemed is made up of four four Greek words. Uh, Don't ask me to pronounce them. It's translated from four words. First part of it is agrokos. I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry. It means to buy in the marketplace. What would it cost me to redeem somebody out of the marketplace, out of a slave mentality? What would it cost to redeem that person to change ownership? Jesus said, I'll give myself in place so that person can come out of that being slaved, slave-driven in the marketplace. That's the first part of it. The second part of it means agroska is to not only redeem out of the marketplace, but to not only to take the person, but to bring them out completely out of the marketplace so they no longer remain there. So as to take them out from under the pull of the evil one and out of the, the pull of sin and to redeem them and completely transfer them into the kingdom of son of his glory. Redeem. That's two, now there's two more. Next one means to loose God himself. He gave himself to loose us from all impurity and bondage, to loose us from all our old habits that had marked our life of slavery, to loose us and set the shackles free. You know that stuff he used to do. He says, I'm gonna redeem you from that. And the last part of the Greek word is to be permanently set free so that it can never, ever be forced back into bondage again. Never. Never. Permanently set free. The only time the person can go back is if they choose to go back. But the devil can't make them go back and nobody else can make them go back. Redeemed. 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 And when we've been redeemed, the Bible says we've been marked with a seal, guaranteeing our inheritance, Ephesians chapter one. To all those who believed in him, he marked with a seal, guaranteeing what's to come. So you have a little of heaven in you already. I mean, this story, maybe, brings it across better than I can bring it across. Years ago, an Englishman had gone out to California. He made his fortune in the gold fields, and he wanted to go back and live with his own people. So he sent money by check around back to England, and he came overland to Kansas City and down in Missouri and Mississippi, and ended up in New Orleans, where he was going to take a ship to New York and from there to England. Now, as a tourist in New Orleans, he did as most tourists do. He went down to the slave market. Only then, in the early 1850s, there were still slaves being sold. As he went into the market, he saw a lot of men gathered there. And one young Negro woman was very beautiful, it was up for bid. He heard the men as they were speaking about her. He saw two evil-looking men bidding for her, quietly, heat, heatedly, and then he heard them say what they would do with her, and his heart just revolted against the whole evil thing. Finally, when they were bidding, and the prices were getting very high, he just couldn't stand it. So he beckoned to the auctioner, and he said a figure which was exactly twice the last bolt, the last bid, utterly beyond anything that had ever been paid for a slave in the marketplace before. The auctioneer said, have you got the money? He came up and said, yes, I've got the money. So the bill of sale was made out. He went over to the block to take the young lady that he had purchased. And as she came down one step and stood, With eye level with his eyes, she made a mouthful of spittle. She spat right in his face and hissed through her clenched teeth. I hate you. He said nothing. With the back of his hand, he wiped the spittle away. Then he took her by the hand, walked down the street, across the intersection, through the mud, and down that street until he came to a little office building. She couldn't read and didn't know what it was. He went to the desk, he began to speak. The man behind the desk began to protest. He said, I insist. It's the law. I insist. Finally he came back, paid some more money, and got a piece of paper. He walked over to the woman that was now like a beast, ready to spring on him. And he handed the paper to her, and he said, yeah, your freedom papers, you're free. She still hissed, I hate you. He said, don't you understand? Yeah, your freedom papers, you're free. She said, no, you paid twice as much for me as has ever been paid for anybody on the block. Now you're giving me my freedom, I don't believe you. He said, yes, these are your freedom papers. And he put them in her hand. She said, stop, mister, do you mean to say to me, you bought me to set me free? He said, yes, that's why I bought you, to set you free. Tears came up into her eyes that hadn't, she hadn't known for a long, long time. They just spilt over her face, softened, and then she slipped down on her hands and knees. And she reached down and she put her hands on those rough boots and then she laid her cheek on the toe of one of them and through a tear she sobbed, oh, you bought me to set me free, you bought me to set me free, you paid more than has ever been paid before just to set me free. Then through her tears she looked up and said, oh, sir, all I want in life is to serve you because you bought me to set me free. The Lord Jesus bought you to set you free. He paid the price. When he hung on the cross, it is said, it is finished. Teta Lester, it is done. I paid the full price. To those who believe in me, I will set you free. I will set you free from sin. I set you free from the power of sin. I will set you free from yourself that you don't like. I will set you free from the devil. And what's more, I'll put destiny in you and I'll put purpose in you and I'll enable you to do what I did because I paid the price to set you free. That is salvation, people. That is salvation. It's not just to go to heaven. The second song and the fourth song summed up all I'm trying to preach. It's a great salvation. Never let it be stolen from you. Never let it be mine. Do not wake up in the morning and look on how you're feeling. Look at what he's done. Never look at your condition because you're gonna have bad days, trust me. Look at him. He paid the price when God looked down from heaven and said, he's a spotless lamb. The price has been paid. We don't pay the price. He paid the price. It's a very great salvation. The day I got saved, I'm eternally grateful. I wouldn't be married today to my wife, present wife, if I didn't get saved. I was on the road to destruction. I've become an alcoholic, like my father. But God set me free. God set me free. And then as I've walked with him, he's come and begin to work things in my life and work things out of my life. Because work out your salvation, that's what we're gonna do next weekend. How do you do that? With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you. It's not Ken who works in Ken. It's God who works in you to will and to act and to do. It's always from him, It's never from me. All I do is surrender. Surrender, 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 surrender. That's all I do. He does everything else. If you are this morning and you want to stand, I'm gonna ask you to do it one at a time and you wanna declare something about your salvation. Doesn't have to be long, don't let it be long. You just wanna declare how great your salvation is. You just wanna declare, Jesus, I love you. You just wanna thank Jesus for whatever. I don't wanna tell you what to do. And the reason we we'll I ask you to do that is because the Bible says it this way. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and your mouth you confess and you will be saved. That second saved is a continued ongoing into walking into greater degrees of the salvation that is already put. Per- you're becoming who you already are. That's what you're doing. Please never look at your shortcomings. Please. Because you're taking your eyes off the one that can help you and putting it in yeah. a You go nowhere. Don't look at your wife's shortcomings or your husband. You cannot change them. Stop. Let the Lord change them. It's a great salvation. It is a great, great, great salvation, people. It's the salvation of the kingdom. It's our Lord and Savior. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram.